Welcome to The Practice Podcast, a show created by lawyers to help lawyers in life and business without all the complicated lawyer language. Let's welcome Bast Amron founders and your hosts, Jeff Bast and Brett Amron. Welcome to a special edition of The Practice Podcast. This episode is a recording of a panel discussion from our Bast Amron fourth annual Business Advantage Forum, which took place on November 4th, 2021. The forum is a learning event we host and underwrite each year with all the proceeds donated to a charitable organization. And this panel is called Can Technology Save Us From Ourselves? If you enjoy this episode, we will be releasing more recordings from the forum on the podcast. And please join us for our next forum in 2022. You can find more information on our website at bastamron.com. Given the work that I've done in the areas of privacy law and data security, discussing this topic in preparation for today with our far more accomplished panelists has been a lot of fun for me. And I know we all have a lot to learn from them. So without further ado, I'd like to go ahead and introduce these incredible panelists to everyone. And I think I saw Tom in here, but I don't see him in yet. I mean, <laughs> there he is. <laughs> All right, great. So first up, let me introduce uh, Joanna McCola. Joanna is the former CEO and co-founder of WinCode Academy, and now the vice president and manager of BrainStation, which actually acquired WinCode in the beginning of this year. BrainStation is the global leader in digital skills training, and it has a very ambitious mission. To date, it has trained more than 100,000 professionals in more than 90 countries, and they are looking to train a million professionals by 2025. Joanna is doing her part to push the mission forward by leading BrainStation's expansion in the Florida market, which is growing very rapidly, and she is well-suited to the task. Joanna was selected as an Endeavor entrepreneur by Endeavor, which is a renowned global community of high-impact entrepreneurs. She also serves as an entrepreneur in residence at Babson College's Win Lab. She's a founding member of the Female Founder Collective's Miami chapter and a board member of Tech Hub South Florida. In addition to being recognized as a female leader in tech by several other organizations, including the South Florida Business Journal and the Greater Miami Chamber of Commerce, Joanna is an advocate for women in tech, seeking to bridge the gap for women in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics careers, and was a speaker at TEDx Miami regarding the importance of diverse teams and how to hire the right tech talent. Next, I would like to introduce Tom Tolison. Tom serves as senior counsel for Zelle and for the owner and operator of Zelle, which is uh, perhaps a less recognized company, but bigger called Early Warning. Early Warning is a fintech and data services company that I'm sure we're all familiar with due to the near ubiquity of Zelle in banking apps these days. At Zelle, Tom supervises a three-person team of legal professionals to provide counsel to internal teams regarding product development, privacy and data governance, and contracts and commercial relationships. Tom provides legal counsel on the operation of the Zelle Payments Network and the content of the Zelle Network Operating Rules. And he was co-lead counsel to the internal business units working on the initial launch of the Zelle Mobile Payments app. Tom is a graduate of Southern Methodist University's Dedman School of Law, a founding member of Hispanic National Bar Association's Corporate Counsel Division, 
and a former president of Region 4 of the Hispanic National Bar Association. And last, but certainly not least, we have Felice Gerardo. Felice wears quite a few hats. Among them, he serves as the CEO of Emerge Americas LLC, which organizes and operates the largest tech event connecting the Americas and is held annually on Miami Beach. Emerge Americas has the ambitious goal of transforming Miami into the tech hub of the Americas. In 2019, Emerge held its sixth annual conference at which it attracted more than 16,000 attendees from 3,900 unique companies and over 40 countries. And Emerge will be returning, I believe, in April of 2022. In addition, Felice is a successful entrepreneur, advisor, and operator of businesses, having most recently served as the president and CEO of ClearPath Inc., which revolutionized the costly paper-based immigration filing process. And following the acquisition of ClearPath, Felice actually became the CEO of the company that acquired it. It's a tech company that is called a L1BRE LLC, Libre, a tech company that aims to empower citizens and transform urban mobility in Latin America. Felice has also served in various positions in the administrations of Presidents Barack Obama and George W. Bush, and he was an advisor to then-Vice President Joe Biden's Cancer Initiative. He's also the founder of Roots of Hope, which is a nonprofit focused on youth empowerment in Cuba through technology and entrepreneurship. It's been named one of the 100 most influential Hispanics in the United States, appeared as a guest commentator on numerous news channels, including CNN, BBC, CNBC, and others. And he's been published in leading news sources such as Forbes, The Economist, The Washington Post, and The New York Times. Thank you all again for being with us today. Let's jump right in. So um, as we all know, business as usual is now unusual. Working remotely has undoubtedly become a new norm. So could you all tell us how are businesses employing technology to expand their footprint while maintaining their corporate culture? So much to say. Felice, are you going to go first? <laughs> yeah, I'll let you go. <laughs> yeah, I would say, you know, if we were in a room, I'd ask show of hands, how many people here have attended a virtual happy hour? And the next one, yeah. <laughs> So many. And, you know, how many people have attended a virtual conference? Here we are. Who thought that this would be a thing and what a thing it is? It's actually amazingly convenient. I'm actually wearing shorts underneath this. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm <laughs> but uh, it's a pretty amazing, unusual time. And I would say mixed into unusual is also a highly competitive labor market and a lot of things being driven by technology in making sure that this unusual time is manageable through technology and also the labor market also being driven by technology in that everybody needs technology talent. What I would say as a broad statement is everyone is using new technology that they didn't know of before to enhance how they're interacting with people. Some of us are using technology we've always used, but in ways we didn't think was possible. Hopefully, a lot of people here are familiar with Slack. If you're not using your Slack, you're using some kind of messaging, you know, instant messaging with your teams so that, you know, you can further stay engaged and communicate. But I think what's happening really is what we've come to now is trying to find a balance between the use of technology to keep culture together. And also, you know, everyone has these hybrid scenarios like how do you do culture digitally 
And how do you mix in doing it in person? Because, you know, that's happening a little bit more. So I'll hand it over to the guys to, to comment more and I'll jump in. Thanks, Jonah. I, I think you know, just to echo everything. First, for, for, first and foremost, thank you, Peter, for the invitation to, to join you today. And congratulations also on becoming partner on us again. But yeah, I, I would just add that I think, you know, high level, what uh, tech has done, especially in, in light of, of COVID and the global pandemic and its aftermath, is really accelerate the digital transformation of our lives. And professionally, I think what it has given us is the ability to empower our team members and uh, our employees to have more flexibility, to be able to participate in forums and events like this from the comfort of their, their own homes, to be able to have uh, spend more time with, with their families and their loved ones and, and work on, you know, on passion projects. Because hopefully if you're not having to commute as much or as often into an office, you have more flexibility to be able to do more things. But I think you know, to highlight some of the challenges that Joe started to talk about, it's difficult to try and maintain a company culture and bring on and onboard new folks when you're doing it remote because so much of that is through osmosis. It's through cohabitating in the same space. It's through you know, not just the official meetings or events or activities of your, your day-to-day job. It's you know, the water cooler conversations. It's the social outings and, and engagements and the more of the, the informality that is really difficult at times to, to be able to replicate in a virtual environment. With that said, I think, and uh, Joe touched on some of the, the communication tools. First and foremost, I think it's important to say none of us are being paid here to promote these, uh, these tools. We're just super users and fans of them. But I'm also, I'm a, I'm a big fan of asynchronous communication. And I have been since you know, before the pandemic. Slack is one, one of those types of tools that gives you the ability to communicate with your team in an asynchronous type of way and, uh, and to use those tools to help increase transparency and hopefully communication amongst your teams. And I think one of the things that, that I've learned through this experience as well is that even then through that, you know, some things can get lost in translation, right? And some things can be lost in translation in terms of just over email or um, text message and so on. And the importance of really investing in those personal relationships with your team members. And if there is any sort of misunderstanding, being able to clear it up, nip it in the bud very quickly, because that's utterly important. So with that, I'll, I'll pause there because I know Tom also had some things he wanted to add. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Felice. Peter, uh, you know, thank you, Maylin and your firm uh, for this opportunity. Really appreciate that and really uh, appreciate the comment of ubiquity along with the word sale because that's certainly our goal. <laughs> so I appreciate the shout out. Listen, I mean, just coming on, you know, the bookend of what Joanna Felice said, I'm really encouraged with what we're doing at Zell and for the following reasons. You know, obviously here at Zell, you know, the goal is to move payments, you know, faster, cleaner, right? And cleaner meaning, you know, without fraud or without issue, right? And, you know, to do that, we have had, at least since I've been here, you know, a change in technology, technology leadership, you know, buying different types of technology stacks to support that effort to make payments run, you know, cleaner and faster, right? Real-time payments, need it now, need it, not yesterday, need it now. But I send a very big shout out to our leadership because it's not just about, you know, the services, you know, being improved, which is always as important, right? And considering our bank, our customers are banks, right? Particularly for Zelle, that needs to happen. But that idea about technology and using that for business goals and to motivate people has even flowed down to, you know, the, our contracts group and using newer technologies to, 
you know, negotiate contracts to make contracts move even faster between the various internal teams and back to our customers. So, you know, the way we've looked at technology has been holistically, not just let's get the real big fancy technology stacks just to push the services forward, but what can our team members do with it too? I'm sure that's not true for every company. I I hope it is. And what that has motivated my team and I to do is to really embrace technology because now we feel like we haven't been left out, right? We've been given tools and the company has spent money across all teams, has encouraged us to use new tools. It's motivated us when you get into even, you know, a simple plug into Salesforce. You know, we're we're using the, the best and the latest. We're still learning some aspects of the bells and whistles, but technology has really motivated us. And we feel, at least my group feels, that, you know, we are part of this larger technology push, larger technology effort. And I think that's always good for culture to be part of the larger initiative. Yeah. And I'd quickly just add, I think I find a lot of, depending on the company size, probably smaller, it's easier to test things. Larger, it's harder to test things. But these days, a lot of the tech-enabled collaborate, whether it's collaborating on a project, communicating, digital whiteboarding, all of them have freemium models. You can test employee anonymous feedback, like a service like Office Vibe. All of them have a free layer to try to test it out. So the only thing I would encourage is regardless of the size of your team, like test stuff out. I find that we do a lot of research and we try to talk and we're like, what is this software solution? How exactly is it going to work? But you'll never know for sure unless you test it. So there's tons of stuff out there that you can try for free. Slack has a free option as well and has some integrations that come for free. My biggest thing is always like try some stuff, test it out. And once you find something that works, like be very committed and communicate it broadly to the team how it's going to be used and try not to deviate. But in the testing period, you know, you can get various people involved. We've tested tons of stuff and not everything sticks. Um, But as a result, we found what really works for the team and what people like and have also asked for a lot of feedback. That's a great point. And I think the the importance of testing uh, solutions that, you know, one, meet your needs, but also that you think that your company will actually adopt because we have tried platforms and tools that just for one reason or another just don't stick and aren't very useful. And there's no reason to continue to do it just because you you paid a big licensing fee if it's not effective and it's it's not useful. So definitely testing out a bunch of different things first to see what really meets your needs. But then once you do commit to really try and optimize and use it to its fullest extent, I know there's a, a lot of the, the tools that, that we use that we're only probably using, you know, 30 or 40% of its uh, maximum utility. But, you know, with that said, I definitely think it's worth engaging your teams and, uh, you know, as, as broad of a, of a group of your team members as you're, you're piling that out to make sure that it's the right fit. I agree with all of that for sure. And, um, you know, with respect to maintaining corporate culture, Joanna, you mentioned Zoom happy hours, which I think are actually a very effective tool to keep up corporate culture in this remote environment. But one thing that I'm sure we've all experienced is some Zoom fatigue or, you know, the the attendance or effectiveness of those happy hours sort of waning. So do we have any recommendations for everyone regarding how we might get our organizations over those, over that hump? Yeah, I I would say that, you know, we're all living history right now. My experience is anecdotal to our team and what I've seen on some other tech teams. I don't know that we have it perfect yet, but for us, what we're trying to do is really engage people once a week in person, like all together. And I don't know what the dynamic is on all the 
all the teams here. But we went from being known as an in-person educator to being a fully remote online team where we have students in 95 countries. And that happened very quickly. So now that we're, you know, a lot of people are vaccinated, things are settling down. What we're trying to do is engage. We use Slack. I've already mentioned that. So we have a lot of integrations and ways that we engage the team in a cultural manner, whether it's funny memes or celebrating accomplishments digitally to then once a week, really being diligent about like coming together and making the time together impactful and have some type of agenda or purpose. And so far that's worked for us, but it, it is continually evolving. And it is something that we try to get a lot of feedback from, from the team, because everybody's lives have shifted. I'm sure now that everyone's remote, there are parents on this team who are now able to pick up their kid. They don't have to do the commute on the 95. So they're picking up their kids. And we, I don't want to suddenly change because I think I'm doing an enhancement to the culture by bringing everyone together. And then it somehow messes up the schedule. So there's a lot of things that I know all of us are, are considering as this evolves. I know I directed that to you, Joanna, but Felicia and Tom, if you have, if you have anything that you'd like to add, uh, I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, I think, you know, it speaks to uh, Joanna's last point in terms of, you know, in a competitive labor force, how do you continue to attract the best talent is, I think, you know, adapting to the new reality that probably moving forward, we're going to be in this hybrid professional space where some of it will be in person and some of it will be remote and that the, that the labor force will demand that. That's something that the folks that I've hired since the pandemic started have all demanded it. And so we want to be able to offer and give that flexibility. With that said, especially as we're onboarding new folks and the importance of trying to maintain our our company culture, uh, we're also trying to be intentional about when we can bring folks together and do so safely and on a periodic basis. Uh, With with that said, our company is a company that produces a, a live event, very large live event once a year. We would do additional convenings throughout the year. And typically our capacity, you know, at some of those events were, I mean, max, maybe a couple hundred uh, during the year. And we would do them, you know, once a month or or, or so on. And then the big event, which brought in almost 20,000 folks uh, at the convention center. We canceled our 2020 conference three weeks before we were going to produce it, which was just an incredibly nerve wracking experience because we didn't know exactly how long this was going to be. And whether or not our, our partners would, would stay with us. Thankfully, they did. And then we were able to quickly pivot to doing this virtually. And um, instead of bring, bringing together a couple hundred folks, we were able to bring together thousands of folks, similar to, you know, to what Joanna said. Our ability to reach and impact folks just grew exponentially. One type of uh, collaboration was a digital hackathon that actually we did in conjunction with Wincode. I apologize, that's Slack in the background, and that's one of my, my notifications, which I'll, I'll turn off just right after this. But you know, with that said, we did our first in-person event three weeks ago in Wynwood to celebrate Hispanic heritage along with AWS and Slalom and some of our other corporate partners. And again, I would have said on average, we would have had a couple hundred folks. We had almost 800 folks. I mean, there was just this pent up demand for those in-person interactions. We did this outside, you know, and folks were encouraged to socially distant. But with that said, there is so much demand. I think, again, moving forward, while folks are getting used to what it is to work and operate remotely when there is in-person, just being really more intentional about what you're trying to accomplish and how ultimately that ties back to you you in your company 
being able to promote the, the company culture. I'd quickly say again, like this is another example of like the you know future of work and what company cultures will be like digitally in person is is evolving all the time. And this is another area where like experiment. You can be wrong. It's okay. We experimented with a ton of different things, whether in person and digitally. And again, this like the tools we use now, some things stuck and some things didn't. And the way we decided is through feedback and engagement on the team. But I definitely think with the number of remote workers we're all going to have, doubling down and investing in thinking about the tools you're using and the culture you will have as a result is so important right now. Right. And I imagine, you know, one of the things you mentioned earlier, Joe, I think was that, you know, the bigger the organization, sometimes the more difficult it is to test things. But I suppose that even with large organizations, you might sort of incubate ideas in smaller teams. And then if, it, if you find that it is successful with the smaller team, you try to push it out to the organization at large. And then that might be successful or unsuccessful, right? Like as you open up the field, you might find that, um, that when you get more feedback, the idea just doesn't work for everyone. Yeah, and I would just add, I you know, I, I think you know the way you guys are thinking about it is exactly what we're doing here at Cell. You know, being being more intentional. You know, the hybrid model is what we're looking at. What we're doing. Uh, I'm a very big fan of that. I'm a very big fan with getting back to my team and product members and infosec teams and all the wonderful people I, I I work with. And it'll be nice to do that. I mean, I'm looking forward to do that. But I, I am a big supporter of the hybrid model, whether I was or was not. <laughs> You know, ultimately, you know, to Joanna's point is the company needs to, you know, make, make the decisions, understand the culture, try things out. You know, to your point, Peter, and I'm sure Joanna and LDJ's organizations do that is consider the feedback and then maybe adjust as you, as you need to. Having said that, one thing that we are doing at Zell, and I think people will have to consider, if there's going to be a hybrid model or a remote model, but come in once a month for a mandatory, you know, team meeting, I don't know. What will that space look like, right? So what we're doing at Zell, and again, credit to my senior executives, is we're going to a new space. We're moving to a new space. It's much more open. It's much more collaborative. The technology will be built around that collaboration and that openness because if you're going to do the hybrid and the remote and bring teams back, you can't you know, shove everybody into the law firm offices, of which I have one that looks like a law firm office, no window. I'm stuck in, you know. <laughs> Uh, it's, a, it's a very much a law firm office, at least uh, for an associate, I'll say. But uh, yeah, that's not where we're going. And that's where we you don't need to be if you're going to bring people back. you got to encourage them to have that collaboration, putting aside the COVID and those issues. But again, another issue to consider is how are you going to have your space developed around that? And that's what we're trying to do at Cell as well. I think, Tom, that, that sort of gets into one of the things that we discussed in preparation for today, which is what do we think successful business leaders are doing to find and move the right ideas forward. And you gave us a, a little bit of an idea there, you know, regarding uh, redesigning the new office space. Yeah. Is there anything else at Zell that, uh, that you would mention? Well, thank you, Peter. And this, this goes back to my original comment about, you know, Zell uh, thinking about technology holistically, you know, top to bottom. And I think that's how you should think about it, whether an organization doesn't, you know, can't write the checks to do it top to bottom. I, I respect that. But at the end of the day, you should, you should think about it, right? And so, you know, it all plays out. So the technology, thinking about technology holistically, again, the, the, our spaces, our, our collaboration is not just slamming people, you know, into an, an office or just to a meeting room with a long table, although there may be some of that. It's more about open space collaboration, open table collaboration, TV type projector screens, you know, with technology, with inter interactive technology for people to, you know, stand around and interact with, have their own pointers, their own, you know, their own, uh, uh, their own control buttons to kind of go through things. And I, I think that's important, particularly 
if you're talking about uh, you know new ideas, new services, you know new architecture, I'm one that when I have to go to an architecture meeting, and it's been difficult for me being remote. I'm one that really wants to see stuff written on a drawing board. I'm just that person, and it really helps me. That hasn't you know I've had to you know really dig in deep, uh, use uh, different parts of my brain when I, I don't I haven't had that for the last two years. But you know that technology allows for that kind of drawing board, that electronic drawing board. And again, I think that all goes with our culture. I think it goes with the hybrid model and pushing, uh, pushing technology forward. And uh, Felice or Joanna, anything to add? I'll quickly jump in. I think moving the right ideas forward requires listening. And it's hard to do because now that we're virtual, I actually feel like I do more meetings than ever before. You really have to be intentional and diligent about sitting down and listening to your team Moving the right ideas forward, that also something it says to me is that means probably giving people a chance to save time or empower them to make decisions. And technology has obviously put everything on its like upside down because there's so much that can happen. And the guiding light for us has been, obviously, we're surrounded by software developers. So this is going to not be, be obvious coming from me, I guess, is, you know, we look at anything that we do manually and anything that's in a spreadsheet, that's one guiding light. Anything that's manual or in a spreadsheet, how can we use technology to win people more time and to test those things and to bring them in? And then the other thing we do is we try to be very diligent. I meet with everyone on our team as an example once a month, and I ask them what's working and what's not. What are your ideas? And sometimes people have great ideas and sometimes they don't. But I find that particularly people who are more junior on the team, unless they're asked explicitly, like, what do you think? Do you have any ideas? They don't always have, whether it's the courage or the avenue to bring forward these ideas. And I do find that some of the younger people may be like the most tech savvy people on the team, whether it's the engineers or whether it's the youngest people on the team, they actually have brought forward some of the best ideas on our team that we're utilizing now. And also on the flip side, the most senior engineer on our team you know, was a big factor of why we were so successful in the pivot to be completely online. So the summary there is like all experience levels contributed to bringing ideas forward, but we had to give them different avenues to share those ideas. So I think actually, that, and that's actually a great segue to the question of how companies have had to think differently now about how they train, coach, and engage remote workers. And so Felicia, would you like to jump in on that? Yeah, so actually dovetailing off of Tom's uh, comment regarding the whiteboard, I'm also a big fan of the whiteboard and visually laying things out. And one of the, the many hats that I wear is I'm, I'm a venture partner at an infrastructure fund. And we actually have uh, start, launched this during the pandemic. And we closed just a couple of weeks ago on $150 million raised and deployed capital uh, already. We started right from the beginning. Uh, we've made six investments all without having done one in-person meeting with any single LP and diligencing more than, I think now we're probably at around 60 companies all around the world, including companies in Israel and Indonesia and Egypt, without ever physically going there and and meeting with them face-to-face. And it's been pretty remarkable. The fund is a venture fund that's associated with a larger private equity platform, tends to be much more traditional in their general approach. They have to literally feel and touch the assets that they're, they're purchasing. And this was you know, kind of uncharted territory. We didn't know if we could actually get it done. One, being able to raise the outside capital. Two, how the mothership was going to adapt 
it's uh, remarkable to say, you know, obviously we've been very successful so, so far that I think this is the new normal. With that said, though, we are very intentional about bringing everyone together about once a month for a week. It's typically with a whiteboard in the background and around a, a large conference table. Folks aren't you know, in their own offices or, or, or their cubes. And the idea is to really kind of use that opportunity to pause and think through what's working, what isn't. You know, to brainstorm new ideas uh, in terms of, you know, deal sourcing and or diligencing what isn't, what's working, what isn't. And where the, the principals, you know, the, the managing partner and so on are mostly listening back to, to Joe's point. And I think that's something that's really worked for us. Again, it kind of goes back to this idea of this hybrid model. I think we work very well and efficiently uh, remotely. And this is a team that kind of really came together. We all had some previous experience working with one another, but never really as a team. And I think we're, we, we do okay remote. I think we do well do it well remote, but we're being very intentional again about bringing folks together and what do we use that time specifically in terms of you know, really brainstorming and promoting greater collaboration, especially amongst the different groups. And one of the things, actually this came up during my, my last breakout session, which is what are we doing with new people? Because you know, going remote, I think it's easiest for established teams. It's easiest for people that know each other. And I think that initially when people, when this remote environment started, a lot of companies I know saw productivity even increase by stepping out of the office and going fully remote. And then I think over time, some companies felt that productivity wane a bit. And especially as you know, the regular attrition that most organizations feel starts coming into effect and you start replacing people, how do you train new people in your organization without having the, the typical relationships where you can just, you know, peek your head into the office next door and ask what to you might be something that's a little complicated or it might take you a while to figure out. But for the person who's been doing this for 10 years in the, in the office next to you, they can answer your question in 30 seconds. My, my only comment would be, and I, and I think that's why you would have to get, you know, that culture and where you want to go settled upon you know, understood at least as much as you can. That doesn't mean people can't do a little bit of this, you know, based on, based on feedback. I'm all for feedback and, and improving things by, by all means. But I think that that's going to be an important thing to have some idea of the direction you're going because it'll be easier to bring those new people on. I'm by no means an HR talent acquisition expert, but I think where, you know, you have these new employees that may have an assumption of what they want to be or where you think you're going to be that may rub up against what the culture is, may rub up against where the company wants to be. That's why you think, you know, and I love that word, Felice, that word intentional and great word. You got to be intentional with what you want to do. And I think that's important for new hires. So they know what they're getting into when they come on, as opposed to, well, we're not sure we're thinking about this and, you know, it may change. And I mean, I don't think that's fair to anyone. Someone once told me, it's really interesting that companies, and we did this, you know, back in the day, spend so much time getting the exit correct? Did they sign a release? Did we do an exit interview? Did the team say goodbye or whatever anyone's process is? When really the front end, the first impression is so important, right? So onboarding and training, which you know probably most companies know these days, but man, is that worth being so, again, we're using the word intentional, like spending money and time on and people. It's just, it's like, fundamentally so, so important. And it's even more important now in a digital landscape. So with respect to the digital landscape, the only thing I would say is not everything is dramatically different. So for us, as an example, it's really important that new people 
meet as many other people on the team as possible in their first 30 days. And instead of that happening in person, it's now happening on Zoom. And that's fine. You know, we'll send an Uber Eats gift card and they're going to meet new people on the team and have lunch together virtually. And now that there's the hybrid option, they can also opt to do some of the time in person as well. So what I would say is it's not a matter of completely reinventing onboarding and training. I think it's more a matter of like, What's going digital and how can we do it the easiest way possible? And then of the things that are hard to do digitally, like for example, for us, there's an element of code sharing and like technical onboarding. You do need to find specific tools to do that the best that you can. So I would say that's been the shift. And the only other thing I'll add on the tech landscape is, you know, that's been amazing is before we came into COVID, people were a little hesitant to hire juniors, particularly in the tech space. And maybe everyone here is still hesitant to hire juniors, regardless of the industry, because if they're remote, well, how are, what are they doing? Who's watching them? Who's training them? Who's being accountable? But COVID forced us to stop that vicious cycle of distrusting juniors. And every company has found a way to onboard train juniors, regardless of the position they're in. But in particular in tech, this has been a big thing because junior developers were typically always onboarded in person. So that's definitely been an interesting phenomenon and something I'm really happy to see happening. Have you found that this new demand for juniors, have you found that, Joanna, to make the market more competitive at all? So something that's interesting is the people who haven't gotten their process together for onboarding and training juniors are hanging their hat on the need to absolutely hire mids and seniors. And that's ultimately going to hold their company back, or it is already, because it's way more difficult to get mids and seniors. And those, even when you do hire the mid and senior level technology talent, they have so many options. And basically the companies that have the capital, they are just throwing money at this problem. So it's very hard to hold on. Anyone here who's hiring engineers, it's pretty hard to hold on to an engineer for longer than two years because they're constantly getting hit up on LinkedIn. That is just the nature of the world that we're in. So for me, it really, you know, that we're kind of getting on a tangent, but I'll say it here. It makes sense to build a process and a pathway for hiring juniors in any industry, but particularly in technology, because that's going to build a much more solid pipeline of people who you'll bring into the company, you need them anyway. They likely are to be a little bit more loyal because you took a chance on them in this like highly competitive labor market. So yeah, it's been interesting. And obviously it is more competitive, but it's also created more opportunity. We can hire people onto our teams from anywhere in the world. Although I know some people deal with cross state tax issues, which is never a fun thing. (laughs) And um, I have a question for everyone. I I was curious Did any of your organizations experiment with going fully remote? And are you still fully remote? If not, why not? Yeah, I I can chime in here. We are, uh, with Emerge, we're technically still fully remote. We have a small WeWork office. We downsized dramatically during the pandemic, the the space, because we didn't need it. And I'm pretty much the only one who goes into into the office. My business partner, Melissa Medina, sometimes also will, will come in. But it's just, you know, right, right now it, it works for us. And um, we also had some of our team members for family reasons who decided they wanted to be closer to their family and outside of Florida, outside of Miami. So Joanna, now I have experience with the, the sales tax issues or the employee tax issues in, in other states. Uh, we're actually in, in four states. You know, with that, again, it's just about bringing folks together as often as we can. And there we're, we're also aiming to do it 
once a month. And it's so far, it's worked for us. I mean, like that, I know there's there's a lot of other companies who have pivoted to to being fully remote. And with that, you know, comes, I think, uh, its own challenges and, and opportunities. But, you know, for on the onboarding question, I, I think I've also been someone who, who tries to live by the adage of uh, hire slow, fire fast. But, you know, with, with that said, I think we have now three different open positions that we have been very slow to fill because we want to make sure it's the right, the right fit. And for, you know, top of mind, the four folks that we brought on board over the course of the last two months, being very, and using that word again, intentional about uh, their, their onboarding and making sure things are not left open to interpretation or you make any sort of false assumptions that, you know, they've got it. I, I used to also love to bring folks on through almost like an immersion type of an experience where, you know, they would literally shadow uh, team members and it was through through that and almost, you know, the, the osmosis of just being with the team day in and day out for a period of, you know, a couple of weeks that they really were brought up to speed and fully integrated into, into the team. You can't do that same way when, when it's all remote. So, um, you know, after meetings, debriefing, making sure that, you know, what you were trying to convey was conveyed and making sure that the, that you're aligning on expectations and just being very, very clear. Yeah, I would, I would quickly, I like, uh, there's lots of great discussion on the chat as well. And I just want to say, I really agree with, in case anyone missed Peter's comment, just to add on to the onboarding, you know, I think there's a lot of attorneys on this call. So you all love documentation and <laughs> very explicit written language. And I will say whenever I moved to remote onboarding, man, did it test how good your onboarding was, but also how explicit you were about, <laughs> I say it with love, how explicit you were with onboarding. And, it, it, you know, he mentioned like sit down and think about every frustration that could come for a new person. And mind you, frustrations are sometimes different for someone who's junior versus experienced. And if they're not outlined and written down in documentation or set up in a meeting where someone's going to learn about it, it just is an opportunity to continue to evolve. I live in a space with software engineers where documentation is everything. It's so important. You're only as good as your documentation in your readme files. So that we brought that in also, not only into our culture, but also into how we onboard and train people. And it's really helped us. Yeah, what I would add, I agree. I mean, Joanna, that's that's that, that's just that's where you need to get to as an organization, right? I mean, again, it's kind of the clear communication, I think, between us three on this panel and even you, Peter. I mean, that's just the world we live in. I mean, it's just change, clear communication, you know, and, and that's what we're we're trying to do. We we uh, we were fully remote. I would say we are, but there are teams that uh, you know do go back uh, and meet. You know, I haven't been back except for one time when a senior executive of one of our bank owners was like, yeah, let's do a meet and greet. I'm like, let's great. I, I know some real great places we can get some lunch, you know, have a drink. He's like, oh, no, we're going to meet at your office. So, you know, I had like go up this chain of command to get into the, the office and they're like, well, who are you meeting? And I told them, they're like, okay, yeah, go, go for it. <laughs> and, you know, so there's going to be those exceptions and I, and I get that. And, and there has to be some flexibility to, to run a business, right? You just can't be so set that you can't run your business and do what's necessary, particularly for a client. Our goal is to be back, uh, I believe it's January next year, and uh, again, in a hybrid model. And I hope, uh, I'm really encouraged by that. I'm really motivated by it. My team is, and we're going to try to do the necessary to make that hybrid model work because I think it's the right thing for us. But I also hope that, you know, we're not in a situation where we have to kind of 
you know, doing these month rollovers of closing. Well, we might open, we might be fully remote because of the disease and the issue. Uh, right. You know, things we have to consider, we're a federal contractor, right? So, you know, you have some issues there to think about and what you need to do with, you know, vaccinated employees. I mean, I'm going to wait for the final ruling and regs, but another thing to think about, you know, if you're a federal contractor out there and what, what you're going to do with people that are not vaccinated, we're, we're, we're thinking through those things as well. And then I guess there's a big question regarding, you know, what does your hybrid model look like, right? Does it mean that everyone is coming in for a week out of the month sort of in shifts? Or does it mean that some people are fully remote while others are coming into the office every day? Or does it mean, you know, like Felicia was mentioning, where you have certain periods during each month or during each week where you make sure that everyone comes together to work together. Well, and I think, you know, I think that's interesting. I mean, that's what works for Felicia's team. And I don't want to misspeak, Felicia, but it sounds like, you know, at least once a month, you guys get together for a week and kind of hammer out what you need to and then you go back to your respective corners. I think that's great. And, you know, if that's what works for you guys, I think it'll be different. I think for us, it's going to be more of the, you know, go to your manager and pick the days you're going to be in. And I think that's good because I, I don't think it should, if you're going to do that, you know, to Felicia, what you're doing, you know that this week, you all got to come together. I think with a remote or a, with a hybrid model, the days that you do come into the office, there should be clear communication with your manager of Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, because then as a manager, you can plan around that presence. And so again, going back to communication, getting understandings, but I, I do think you'll see different, you'll see different aspects. Maybe it's just a, a company demands every Friday, everyone has to be here, right? So I think it depends on the culture. We were just discussing onboarding people. We've always had to measure success though. You know, once we've onboarded people, we've always had to measure success, but we have seen, at least I think in the, in the legal field and probably in, in professional services generally, we've seen a little bit of a shift due to the you know, going remote aspect of working now. And, and I'll give an example. So in law, you typically would measure productivity or rather in a, in a law firm, you would typically measure productivity by billable hours. And that would be the same thing in you know, accounting firms, for instance, you know, what are you billing clients and what are you collecting from clients? And there's been a shift, I think, because of because of the changes that everything has undergone to measuring outcomes as opposed to measuring productivity by the billable hour. So instead of just simply measuring how many billable hours someone is someone is uh, generating, we might look at how they are driving their cases forward or moving a case closer to trial or getting the case closer to a resolution generally. And have you seen in your industries any change along that front? Well, also, let me speak to what we've done. And I think this is, I don't know if this is a natural result of COVID. What I have seen in my organization, including the legal department, and even among my smaller group within the legal department is a push to not only develop, live by key performance indicators, which I'm a big fan of in a lot of respects to look at, you know, here's the goal, here's the outcomes, what are you doing to get there? So that's been a big part of our organization. SLAs somewhat. I'm not a big fan of, of SLAs as a lawyer. I've communicated that to many levels of my company. And uh, we've had some really good heart-to-heart conversations about that. And we, I guess some, on certain levels, we agree to disagree. But on the KPIs, um, that is that is a, a newer and more intimate thing that we're doing here at Zelle. SLAs, not so much, at least not for you know our group, my team. But even without that, I still think that we, we still have, with various other mechanisms, an understanding. And maybe that's just a product of how we're set up of the goals, where we need to get to, the timing, without having to put them on a spreadsheet and chart it every day, like, for example, an attorney may on a billable hour scenario. So and I'm, I'm, I'm glad it's still, even though it's changed a little bit, I'm glad it's still not, not that. And that's all due respect to you, law firm colleagues of mine. 
this is such an interesting conversation because it's the conversation of goals versus KPIs. And it's another element of, you know, I said listening was really important. Experimentation is really important. And that's just because things are evolving so much. We do not know what the future of work in our organizations is going to be like a year from now. It's so fluid. So for me, we at BrainStation and at Winco, we, don't, we didn't measure KPIs. We, we didn't do KPIs. It was all goal-based. But what I would say is I find that less seasoned individuals, so anyone who's a little bit less experienced, they do value and very much enjoy measuring progress and having markers that show how they are progressing. So what I would say is we've had to remain flexible and experiment with a few things so that there are actually some individuals who do have KPIs, do have points of how we measure their progress, whereas the overall teams are really just looking at larger goals. Now, not to contradict myself, but something that's interesting in the tech world is if you measured a software application build based on the finished product, that would be a disaster because a lot of software applications are a total failure. I'd say there's more failure than there is success. And so the reason they measure velocity, which is completion, is more important in that element is because that's literally the core of the work that they're doing. And sometimes a code snippet, a small piece or even a chunk of one application might be a pivot to inspire something completely new. So just throwing a lot of things out there for everyone to consider is that, you know, we, we've just had to be open and be flexible. And for while we overall as a larger organization aren't KPI driven currently, uh, there are certainly smaller teams or individuals who do have KPIs because we had to be flexible so that they could have it because it made sense. And some of what you said harkens back to a speaker we had earlier, uh, which was uh, Coach Rothstein was highlighting the idea that failure is is a tremendous learning opportunity. And sometimes, as you said, even though the overall project was for some reason a failure, there are, there might be tremendous successes that you can pull out of it and use in the future. Yeah. And I think failure is the cornerstone of growth mindset is basically you, you learn through failure. And if you see it as a bad thing, it's going to hold you back. And that's extremely true in technology because every all you're doing in technology is you're getting a problem to solve and then you're rewarded with a new problem once you solve that problem. So you know, there's a lot of, it takes a lot, a lot of testing to get to something that works. So, yeah. Agreed. Uh, n- nothing really more on, on my end to add, you know, I, I, with the, the fund, I think it's very clear what our goals are. And so you either hit it or you don't. And, you know, from, uh, from quarter to quarter, we, we can mark up or mark down our investments, but in the end, really it's the, the ultimate goal of uh, whatever our, our multiple on invested capital is, is. And then with with Emerge, I think to to Joanna's earlier point, especially with more junior folks, uh, they want to know that they're being successful and that they're, you know, even if their goal is further out, that they are being measured on some sort of metrics of uh, of success. And that's where I think KPIs can be useful and and helpful. So I think it's it's a balance. I think it's ultimately going to be a balance. And, And Felice, on that point, I was wondering if you had any ideas about how companies can or will use technology in the future to you know, provide feedback to employees or align employee performance measures more closely with their organization's missions? That's a great question. And I'm not sure, not to, to pass the buck here, if Joanne <laughs> has any experience in this space, especially with the developers that she, she works with uh, or tools that she'd recommend. I, I'm not, I don't have any top of mind that I would, that I would recommend. 
Yeah, I'd say like uh, like the world right now, this is a hybrid also. Nothing replaces person-to-person communication and engagement. I think that's always going to be important, regardless of if it's virtual or in-person. But we use a lot of different... Well, we seek a lot of feedback. And it started with something simple, Google Forms. Who hasn't done a Google Form right. survey here? Come on, we all have. <laughs> but there are a lot more sophisticated solutions than a Google form like office vibe, for example, is something that we use. It's an anonymous way to measure people's engagement and happiness. And for them to have an open form, it's like a really snazzy digital suggestions box, but with way more KPIs. That's really, really important. And then we also have dashboards. So as I mentioned, we're not in only certain individuals are KPI driven. Mostly we're goals based. So we do frequently look at our dashboards to like give feedback as a team on what's working and what's not and where the data is trending. But on an individual level, you know, we use a lot, we still use a lot of one-on-one meetings. So the manual level of that is something like Office Vibe or the data. And the, the dashboard that you mentioned, is that something that's on Office Vibe or is that something separate? So our parent company is a digital agency that does enterprise software. So everything uh-huh. that we use, like particularly that's more advanced with data is, has been created internally. But I mean, there, you know, a lot of people probably on here have heard of Salesforce. That's pretty expensive, mm-hmm. but there, there are a lot of dashboard providers out there. I mean, I can follow up and send, I can't think of them off the top of my head, but when we were a smaller startup and we were way scrappier with a much smaller budget, we used as many freemium options as possible. And there are a lot out there. So uh, there's definitely a lot of opportunity. The only thing I'll add also to all of this is hashtag never stop learning. I think for anyone who embraces learning as a lifelong journey, we're talking about tools and culture, but one of the ways to really know what to do in that space, particularly in a technology world that we live in now, is to learn some skills yourself. Obviously, <laughs> I'm biased, I'm brain station, but we, we actually, in addition to helping adults transition careers, we have 15 certificate part-time courses that are a night or two for eight weeks And they are geared towards professionals like all of you to bring you in, whether it's on like technical project management, data analytics, understanding coding, understanding digital leadership. And that's also been really important because doing a bit of education for yourself, expanding your own mind, you'll actually have more inspiration and creative ideas for how you want to bring that in or what you're going to do on your own teams moving forward. So I'll just add that in before we wrap up here. (laughs) That was great. It's an excellent wrap up. Um, So Joanna, Felice, Tom, thank you all so much again for being here with us today. I think this was a, a fantastic panel. For more information on this show and other resources, visit FastAmron.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at FastAmron. 